Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. I was going to say, as always, we have one as always this week. I'm going to get to that guy in a minute. He's in an airport somewhere. Uh, but the non-usual suspects, we got some fantastic guests on the show this week. My guy, Vinny Goodwill, National NBA Writer for Yahoo Sports, host of the Good Word with Goodwill show on Yahoo's Ball Don't Lie channel. Also, Sirius XM radio host, my guy, Vinny. What's up, sir? How are you? Hey, I'm glad you got that all right. I really That was so much work, that. Vinny. I had it, to do my research. Dude, it's a lot of work for me to say that every week on the podcast. So I'm sure. just thankful and appreciative that somebody else got to do it. I mean, you got a like a fire name for the pod. You know what I mean? Good word with goodwill. Is it, it sounds like you, it sounds churchy. It sounds very it churchy. Does. I'm not a churchy person. But it it's just not to work blatantly churchy it kind of taps into the soul and makes you want to lean in and just listen a little bit you know i like that lean into i like the that soul. too taps into the soul you like that it, law it is it, it's great man um <laughs> that was not convincing law that was not convincing all right let me bring law in here we got law murray uh I'm, i mean to say clippers beat writer especially this week does not capture it law has had himself a couple of days um you know he's covering the james harden trade He's we, we got a man down. I don't want to put his business in the streets, but we, he had to do a little Lakers stuff last night. He's just wearing multiple hats. He's doing podcasts left and right. He's on his way to Playa Vista to the Clippers training facility here in a little bit to go say hello to the beard who's getting introduced after that massive blockbuster trade with Philly Law Murray. Uh, I'm afraid to ask you how much sleep you've gotten the last couple of days, but but how you hanging in? I mean, sleep is an illusion. So, <laughs> what are you, yeah. Kyrie today? <laughs> that sounds like I a Kyrie. Not, man. <laughs> I hope not. Hey, look, it's 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 uh it's not even nine a.m. I haven't had uh I haven't been to the breakfast nook yet. I'm on vibes right now, uh, so I'm glad to be talking with y'all this morning. All right, we're gonna lift you up today, and I won't rub it in yeah. that I got my second cup of coffee to my left. So just live, you know, vicariously through me. We also got a dude who couldn't even be bothered to bring his mic uh, and really is is only here because he deserves to to kind of, you know, get his comeuppance when it comes to his Indiana Pacers hype. They had a bad night last night. And Fred Katz, you know, typical host on the show and, and, and guy who was really feeling himself the last couple of weeks talking about Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers about to go win themselves an in-season tournament or maybe even a uh, a Larry O'Brien trophy. Uh, Fred, what what happened to your Pacers? And I don't know what airport you're in, but what, what the hell? Well, I am. it makes sense that right as I'm about to talk, there's an announcement because everything that I say probably should be spoken over at this point. But I will say, in one corner of this podcast, we got goodwill. We got churchiness. We got spirit. In the other corner, we have the other side of the world. We have law, right? And then in this corner... We have faith. We have belief that a team can lose by 51 in November and still finish in the top six in the East by the end of the year. And I believe it. I think we all know if Tyrese Halliburton played in that game, the Pacers would have won by like seven points. I think Hold on. I'm going to interrupt Fred. Hey, Vinny and Law, guess what? This man is so addicted to this topic that that last sentence, if Tyrese played, they would have won by seven. He literally sent a note to us indicating that if he didn't make it on the pod, he wanted that to be his official statement about the Pacers. I was asked to read this on air as if his opinion on the Pacers is so important that, that he had to offer this, this nuance. 
It's true. They 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 have actually okay. They got killed by Boston. They got annihilated by Boston. You got 15 seconds. We're not talking Pacers long. They got annihilated by Boston. But the offenses looked really good in a lot of moments. They had the tough loss to Chicago, which I think they probably should have won that game. But I'm still, I'm still, I'm still on the Pacers. Andrew was like, Amick's got to come on and he's got to bully you about the Pacers for two minutes before you board this flight to Milwaukee. So I came on. But I also just really wanted to hear Law's thoughts on James Harden. Well, then that's a good segue. Look at you putting your host hat on. All right. So on this week's show, um, we are going to make the rounds. You know, I know there's, there has been a lot of Harden talk on the stream. Uh, I feel like we're going to come at it from a different angle. For one, you know, Vinny's had really good coverage on this topic and has got a different perspective. You got the law Clippers side uh, and then greater context. And Fred, you kind of just alluded to this, and this will be a little phase two part of the pod is in my like reanalyzing the East a little bit. Again, I know it's early, small sample size theater, but you know, the team that put it on Fred's Pacers was those Boston Celtics. 155, Drew Holiday fitting in incredibly well, you know, best net rating by a long shot in the league so far. Boston looking really good. But let's go to the story. It's okay for some stories that are this big to be the story of the week. Uh Vinny, I'm gonna throw it to you. You know, you and I have covered James for a very long time. Uh, a very divisive character, uh, a very talented basketball player. The column you wrote on Yahoo Sports about player empowerment, I thought was very interesting because you, you know, thoughtful, uh, good words all over the place, if you will. And the idea that, you know, uh, there, there has been a narrative that, you know, player empowerment was out of control, so to speak. These players need to to be controlled. And, and, and next thing you know, James Harden says, well, hold on a minute, you know, hold my beer. I'm going to go from Houston, Brooklyn, Philly, all the way uh, over to the Clippers. I mean, first of all, geographically, my God, this dude is touching every corner of the state or the country. Um, but he got his way, right? And he did it after, and I heard some of your perspective on your pod as well, after opting in, which was met with, you know, just eye rolls all over the NBA. Like if you wanted your freedom, it's literally called free agency. So the freedom part comes with becoming a free agent. But no, you wanted your 35 million, 36 million, in addition to the Clippers stop, and and it only took him three games. Um, unpack that a little bit for me. I mean, how surprised are you that he got what he wanted this early, and what do you think it means? Well, first, before we do that, we have to say goodbye to Fred, or should I call him by his government name? I'm not sure if we're going to call him by his government name here. But do it, do it. Bye, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Little known fact, Vinny, you're breaking news on the pod. Fred's birth name is Matthew. I'm just going to put there it out are, there. Fred. There are four people. In the world who call me Matthew. There's more now. My mother, my mother, <laughs> Vinny Goodwill, or as Sam just dubbed him Vinny Goodwords. I can't believe that you said good words amidst the Vinny Goodwords pun. And the two centers for the New York Knicks, Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein. Those are the four people in the world who call me Matthew. And that's it. So like I've got to go. All right. I'm Matthew, thank you for joining. <laughs> I'll be sitting. You. I'll be sitting first class in honor of the Pacers offense. <laughs> I'm sure the athletic loves hearing that. <laughs> and I'll talk to you guys soon. See you, See you buddy. See you, um, well, all right, it's, Vincent, it's, since it's, we're going with birth there we names. Go. God, I hate, I hate that. I, and I hate my government name too. Um, I, I think some people interpreted it, my column as like support of James Harden and saying, Hey, I like this. Is a, I like how he gets down. I understand a lot of people rolling their eyes, but who's going to turn down $35 million when you 
thought that you were going to get the full max bag <clears throat> to take a mid-level exception, which I'm not even sure the Clippers had <laughs> this off. Right. They had like a mid, uh, um, a veterans minimum deal. Like right. who's going to take a $30 million pay cut? Like uh, this doesn't seem, you know, feasible. And my point on James just as a whole is, I don't know if there's anybody to root for when you've got James on one side and Daryl Morey on the other. You sure. know, if there if there is one executive that removes the people from the people business, it's probably Daryl Morey in that way. And that's no shot to him. That's just the way that he's kicked it and has been largely successful, except if you count getting to the finals or win the championship or anything like that. I mean, other than that, he's been really, really successful. You know what I mean? <laughs> but but for, for James, I think we all looked at it and thought, if there's one player who's going to get his way this summer, it's going to be Damian Lillard because he's been the model employee, because he had such a great relationship. So we thought with the Portland Trailblazers, the city of Portland, and he had all the public, lack of better phrase, a goodwill with the public that made it seem like he would get to his destination after being the model citizen for so many years. While James has been a change my mind, I'll go here, I'll stay here. No, I won't. I want to go somewhere else. And I just tried to zoom. I tried to zoom in a little bit on each of those individual situations while also saying it's only about six or seven players in the league. As great as this league is with talent, it's maybe six or seven guys that can go to their front office and say, get me out of here. And here's where I want to go. Damian Lillard was all NBA last year and couldn't even get to where he wanted to go. You know what I mean? Like, and that's been a change in how we've seen NBA business conducted. So I think player empowerment A is a myth and B the whole thing about the pendulum swinging the other way. That's kind of a myth too. I mean, before I throw it to law to your point um, and you cited a bunch of examples in your column, the Milwaukee Portland trade, uh, I thought, you know, you know, like in one shot, excuse me, hit on what you're talking about. Cause on both sides of that deal, Dame doesn't get what he wants goes to Milwaukee. Now he's happy that he's there, but it was, he had to kind of re evaluate uh, what he was happy with and, and didn't get what he asked for in Miami. But drew holiday who put in some incredible work with the bucks, you know, and, and really shoot, you win a title for that franchise first time in 50 years, you should be building a statue for this guy. Instead, you're, you're shipping him out to Boston and, and his wife, Lauren obviously put a, a very heartfelt social media message out talking about the impact of trades on players and, and the dehumanization of some of these guys. And that's, you know, kind of powerful stuff that I think a lot of players can relate to. So you're right. More often than not, guys don't get what they want. Law, in this case, James gets what he wants. And the unique part uh, from, you know, the L.A. standpoint, obviously, is it's pretty incredible that you're now talking about four guys who grew up in L.A., you know, and really grew up around the same time, uh, played high school ball in the L.A. area, now going to do their thing together. You talk about it's 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 also wild because. The Clippers brand, as you guys know, and I think they leaned way too hard into this, has been that whole streetlights over spotlights mentality, that anti-Lakers passive aggressiveness, you know, like we are the real L.A. Like, my goodness, you literally went out and got four of the best L.A. basketball players of all time, put them together. Now, that sounds like I'm hyping it up. I'm not. That does not mean it's going to work. I think there's a lot of questions here. Uh, You know, how do you see this situation? basically this is a situation where you're going to hear the word sacrifice a lot like i feel like leadership and vibes was the theme in october and i'm not saying i hated it but i kept saying 
don't think that guys being more open in press conferences and dancing when the music come on and start practice means that a trade not happening, you know? Um, well, now the trades happen and everyone's going to see to, you got these four guys who've all done special things with the basketball in their hands. So how are they going to play? And so I think the, I think when, when, when you have a team um, and I learned this hanging around uh, Kevin Durant a little bit over the summer um, when he had his, um, whole event with um, boardroom like um, the owners want to have a good team but they also want to have a good story and they want to be able to connect and maybe you can criticize Kawhi and PG for um, not always having the connection part um, outside of the fact that they're from LA well you get Russ and Russell Westbrook in February maybe he's not the same player maybe his uh, the decline from elite level play has been a lot more uh, present. You know, we've, we've discussed him uh, at nauseum, but he's still an impactful player um, and he can still be a positive player. Now you bring in James. He le literally led the league in assists last year. You can see what, what they're going for all the time that we were debating whether Russ was a good fit with the Clippers or not, because of what Lawrence Frank would say about his guard situation, about always wanting the ball in PG and Kawhi's hands and having complimentary players around them, especially at a point guard position that is not the point guard position that me and Vinny grew up with specifically. You know, you look at versus like Russ felt like the antithesis of that, but until you lose still made that work. Now you get the guy that the front office actually was describing as the ideal player to play next to Paul and Kawhi, a guy who's a big guard in James, a great passer, a guy who can shoot, even though we're going to need to see a lot more catch and shoots. I think Lawrence Frank subtly bringing up how well James Harden shot the catch and shoot three is a tell about what they might be asking James to do. And at the same time, you also have to bring it back to Kawhi and Paul. Those guys, I, I brought it up talking about Russell Westbrook going into this Lakers game Wednesday night. Um, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are not like Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Anthony Davis is a paint-bound big um, who's not really spacing the floor all crazy. LeBron literally has been the NBA's best scorer of all time as far as volume goes. Um, LeBron, like Kawhi, PG, those guys came into the league as 3 and D guys on good teams. If there's anyone as far as star players at this stage of their career, that is like, we're cool not having the ball. We're cool doing the little things. It's those two. That makes it easier for a guy like Russell to come in and do what he has been able to do. And now you have to do it again with James. It makes it easier on those guys. So I don't have the same concerns. It's going to be clunky because it's one basketball. But I think that the way this team is built, its culture around Kawhi and Paul, I think that makes things a lot easier for James to come in and integrate himself. So more specifically, Law, um, <clears throat> how do you see the Westbrook use in terms of, the, I mean, first of all, no clarity on whether he's going to start or come off the bench. You wrote a piece yesterday where you projected the starting lineup with him in there. You got Russ, you got James, you got Paul, Kawhi, and Zubach. You know, like you said, one ball, uh, at least two ball-dominant guys, four guys who definitely handle it. Paul and Kawhi have become better playmakers over the years. Um, how do you see Ty Lue's plan on that front? And then contextualize that if you can with whatever insight you might have about Russ's mindset here. Um, you know, it does appear and sound as if, you know, he was given the green light on, on, on you know, this deal itself and the idea that, that he wanted James in town and was willing to do whatever it took. Uh, that's a necessary component. 
but but how do they uh, how do they go down that road? I really just feel like T. Lou has always saw Russ as a leader on and off the floor. Uh, that obviously, I, th- I think we got too used to the Lakers handling Russ as the way it should be, and and so everyone's like, yeah, of course Russ should come off the bench. So I just don't see Teron Lou going to Russ and saying, hey, we're going to take put you out of the second unit. I think you can start guys and stagger them. I think there's going to be a heavy use of how to starts a game. And then five minutes in, he's probably going to get Russ out of there and bring him back with guys like Norman Powell, guys that he can he can have uh, so that Russ can play his game and he can run with a Terrence man. He can help Norm get his he can help the bigs uh, with with what they're trying to do as far as the pick and roll game. Um, and then have a guy like James play a lot more with Kawhi and Paul uh, over the course of the game when you're not staggering. Um, but I think that a, a, a team's lineup is validated by its defense. And what Russ gives you as a point of attack guy with his energy, with him not having to be a 20-shot attempt guy like he has had to do in previous stops of his career, uh, Russ has already shown that he's willing to be a different kind of player with the Clippers than we saw uh, with other rosters, with other coaches, with other stars. Uh, with, with with James, I yeah, I heard people think uh, that James could come off the bench, um, you know, because he won a Sixth Man of the Year award. I don't think that's happening <laughs> either. James, that's not happening. Yeah, that's not yeah. Happening. So it's like you, when you look at it, it's like yeah, I, I just feel like they're going to just start those four guys in the Vitsa Zubats and T. Lou is just going to have to work on the rotations about how long he wants to play certain guys together, how he's staggering. The Clippers have rarely staggered this season, but I also think it was because T. Lou's trying to get certain dudes in shape and he's just trying to win games. Right Now that this deal is done, let's just be real, like, all things considered, this team should stay out the play in tournament pretty safely here. Um, even given how good the West is, <coughs> they have sure? a month or two. I yeah, here they, goes Vinny. Should. All right, Vinny, let's let's hear that's it. That's why no, you get James. Sure? Yeah, that's why that's why you get James. You get James because this this dude wins regular season games. Yes, he does. All the critiques that we have about James about how he doesn't come through in the playoffs, how he doesn't come through late in in those type of games. That'll be an issue that we talk about six months from now or four or five months from now. Like for right now, you get James as a is a luxurious insurance policy for all of the other stars that you already have. The, the floor is raised when you have all those guys because you know that together they got to figure it out. One of those guys out, it makes it easier for those other guys to say, all right, I'm going to take the team on the back and we're going to still compete at it a high does, level. But Vinny's Probably still not games. sure. Vinny's still not sure. What do you think, man? <laughs> I don't think we can be sure about anything in the Western Conference short of the Denver Nuggets. Sure. Right? Like I because the West is so deep, I just think it's <clears throat> it's a tribute, not an indictment of the Clippers when I say that, because you have Oklahoma City, you have Golden State figuring things out. The only real disappointing team in the West that I can say is probably Memphis to this point. Sure. You know, what I mean, that's and, and they're without Ja and they're without Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. I mean, and two of those things aren't going to change this year, this year, but the West is loaded. So when you're saying six, you got to tell me out of Denver, Golden State, the Lakers, Phoenix, the Clippers, Oklahoma City, like like that's six right there without even including like Sacramento and Dallas, who's perfect. Now we're at 
eight. Sure. Then you count New Orleans. Like it's just so deep, and it's it's hard for me to pinpoint. But I agree with what you're saying. The logic on getting James Harden is this is not a May and June move. This is a get us to April move. And then if you and if you're helping us in May and June, it's gravy. Well, and that's when, and you, you hit on this I mean? on your pod, Vinny. Is it that's when James is a, is a third option is a game changer in the playoffs. That's fine. Yep. Like you go ahead and hit a couple big shots throughout the course of a series. Fine, as long as the top two guys are playing well, you're in good shape. Let me say though, all right, I hear you for the purposes of this conversation. Let's go ahead and say they get in the playoffs because it would be a disaster if they don't. The you don't do this kind of a move. You know, Steve Ballmer doesn't walk around dreaming about coming in second place. So are they going to be lifting the trophy or not? Like the idea of winning the entire thing, and I know, you know, you're talking a lot to unpack there, but you know, does this potentially look like a championship team to you, or is it or is it just window dressing? I mean, you can be I a championship think... team and not win a championship, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Seen that. You know what I mean? And I I have yet to see anybody in the league come up with an answer for that big goober in denver and i said it affectionately okay i said it affectionately who has come with an answer like like i don't know like, i'm calling like, the joker yeah yeah <laughs> literally goober look, look if, if if um if big vic is like uh jason Voorhees, where you everywhere you look you turn around and he's there then nikola Jokic, <laughs> he is literally like a real life joker who who gets batman in the end <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's the one that wins at the end. But I think, and Sam, you can agree. You, Sam, you're older than us, and I don't mean that. Damn, I don't mean right. it in that way. You, you actually look young. You know what I mean? Thank you, you, buddy. Know, you know what they say: white don't crack, right? Yeah, Unless you crack, it um, rolls right <laughs> off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> but but in a given year, I think there are maybe four, maybe three championship teams. Maybe like three teams that even in hindsight you look at it and say these teams were championship level quality. It's not always the two teams that make the finals either. It's just three teams in a given year that you can look at through their patterns through the regular season and how they've conducted themselves to look like a championship team. I feel yeah. like Denver's one of them. I feel like maybe Boston is one, but I'm not completely sure because I'm not sure it I clearly trust them in the playoffs. With the way they put it on Denver last night, right, 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 Vinny. I mean, clear, clear, <laughs> clearly, clearly, you know, a team with uh, a team with Carl Towns that screams out championship, right? right you know what right. I mean? That so, was a good win, though. <laughs> but yeah, it it's was a great a win. win. It was a gr great win. Look, any any unexpected win in the Western Conference this year will be meant by applause by the other teams. Because every game is going to mean something in a way. But but to your point, I do think that this puts the Clippers in better position. But do you trust the Clippers more than you trust Phoenix? I think that might be the I question. That I comes do right out now. For. I do right now. I mean, like, listen, yeah. Bradley Beal hadn't hit the floor. Devin Booker's played one game. Kevin Durant's incredible, but he's not a young they, man. They, so. and, 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 that, and that Phoenix team, here's a big thing. Uh, like, T. Lewis, who is someone that um, he enhances – the parts that he has. Uh, T. Lou has not finished the season with Kawhi and Paul healthy. Uh, the fact that T. Lou's the one who has to keep repeating that, um, it that has weighed on him. But I've, I've seen the Clippers play. I've seen Phoenix play. I mean, the late game execution from the Clippers is why they have losses. Um, you can say that for the Suns as well. But the Suns, you know, they're just got to hope they, they get their guys healthy. Um, like, I, I just don't feel like the Suns are going to be better than the sum of their parts. And I think there's a way where the 
T. Lou makes things happen um, when he finally gets these guys. He's in the a best great coach in property. basketball, if we if we're being honest. Well, and here's so shameless preview. Uh, if I do my job today, I'm gonna have a piece tomorrow with scouts. You know, I do this occasionally. It's always kind of fun. Anonymous scouts weighing in on can James Harden fit in with the Clippers? And I'm gonna quote one of them here. Uh, he's talking about all the different, he's pretty cynical on the deal. And he says, I don't know, man, I just don't understand it from a Clipper standpoint. Um, so that's where we're going to see how, how good Ty Lue is, right? He's going to have to figure this thing out. So, you know, that's his reputation precedes him. Fantastic reputation. You know, obviously part of that team USA staff now as well. And, and this is an interesting inflection point for Ty, because as you guys know, last season, he was quietly and at times not all that quietly frustrated with being the coach of a, of a load management team where he just wanted guys to compete and wanted guys to be available and wanted to play basketball. And, you know, and then he always kind of pushed back on that idea that he was really frustrated, but you know, it was, it was a thing where I think, you know, he, he wanted to have uh, his guys and he wanted to see what they could be, what they could do. Uh, now you, you've got even more. And I mean, shoot last night, Kawhi and PG are playing, on the second night of a back-to-back, this is a whole new Clippers world, and, and it's one that I think Ty is is better equipped for. And if anything, it's why the issue with last year, he connected with his stars. I think he started to lose connection with his other guys, the, the, the role players who they had their roles jerked around to the point where guys didn't know whether they were playing, what position they were going to be playing, uh, all, all those things because – T. Lou kind of prioritized guys like Kawhi and Paul and and uh, Russ when he got there. Um, I think T. Lou's made a significant effort to be better in that regard. But this is a trade that tests that. I mean, we're going to talk about James, but we're you know what's going to happen with Terrence when he finally gets back from injury? Dude was named a starter, and of course he gets hurt at the wrong time. Terrence is jumping back into a new team. What's going to happen with him? He's the guy whose role gets switched around all the time. Uh, you know, guys like Bones Highland, guys like Norman Powell, who I'm just going to be real. Norman Powell and James Harden are kind of redundant um, on this roster. That's um, the most redundant case of guys who are still on the team um, than anybody else. Even Colin, Paul and Kawhi can kind of differentiate themselves. So it's those players where it's like I'm seeing – I'm gonna. We're gonna see how T. Lou continues to consistently communicate and put other guys in position to succeed. All right, guys, good stuff on all things Clippers, Harden, Sixers. Uh, I'm gonna jump back out east, and, and Vinny, this is your your kind of <clears throat> one of your many strong suits. Here is is the good old Eastern Conference. Um, I know it's early again, qualifier disclaimer, but man, the you know we we are all ready to to put the NBA trophy. In Milwaukee, right? Yes, <laughs> and, we were. And Dame and and you took a trip out there in the preseason. I caught up with those guys when they came through LA. You know, we wrote a bunch of words, we said a bunch of things, and almost all of them were complimentary. Um, so here is the early struggles that we probably could have seen coming a little bit. You know, we how many times with a quote unquote super team do we have to get reminded that it takes a minute? Um, but as we sit here talking today, they have got the 29th defensive rating in the NBA, 119 points allowed per game. Um, just a shade, uh, by the way, speaking of shade, a shade above Fred Katz's Pacers, 119.3 at 30th. Uh, and, and just above the Wizards, uh, this is not good company to be keeping on the defensive end of the floor 
where the Mike Budenholzer Bucks, you know, buttered their bread back in the Drew Holiday days. Uh, 24th in net rating, minus 6.6. You're talking about close wins over Philly, Miami, bad losses to Atlanta and Toronto. And those two games giving up 127 to the Hawks, 130 to the Raptors. By the way, the the offensively anemic Raptors who have just been dying on that end of the floor, giving you 130. Um, Chris Middleton, just to give a little more context, you know, coming off that knee surgery in the summer, only playing 17 minutes per game and has only played three of the four games. Uh, you know, Dame has, has been on a roller coaster ride with his performance, mm-hmm. uh, had some great moments and then had a couple bad nights. What do we see in there? And, and more kind of broadly speaking, uh, what do we think about the East? Cause we had Milwaukee and Boston, Boston's killing. We'll get to them in a minute that Mr. Holiday is doing his thing out there. Um, but, but, you know, what are you seeing out of the Bucks so far? Well, I think you, you spoke it up. I mean, last year they were top five in defensive rating, uh, last year. I think they were like fourth and Adrian Griffin, who is a critical element of this puzzle, right? We, we focus so much on Dame and on Giannis and even to a lesser extent on Chris Middleton, because he hasn't been healthy because he looks like the missing piece on the floor that we don't even talk about the adjustments that comes in when you're bringing in a first-year head coach to a championship-level team, and then you throw in Damian Lillard, who is the antithesis of Drew Holiday defensively. Like, Drew Holiday could cover up a lot of ills with point-of-attack defense and being able to get into the passing lanes. He has a lot of length that can sort of cover up and play to the way that Bud Ball liked to play. Like, they weren't aggressive last year. But you had a wild card in Drew that could get into the passing lanes, make things a little more difficult. Now you've got Dame, who's not defensively inclined. And Adrian Griffin is saying, we're going to be more physical. We're going to be more aggressive. And that takes time to change a defensive identity that's been largely successful because of the playoff failures. Mind you, they won a championship. But because of the playoff failures, you got to go a different direction. And usually when you break up with one girlfriend, the next girlfriend is the total opposite, right? (laughs) You don't know about that life, Sam, but I'm just telling you (laughs) as a single man, that is usually how it has gone. And I have been the boyfriend that's been the total opposite of the last boyfriend. So you're basically like the GM who, you know, you hear this from coaching agents that, that, you know, like you just hit on, like every team ends up going the opposite direction. So, so Vinny, the GM of his love life. Is uh, what love this life. a little bit? But yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, what love life? No, it's, it's like it's like <laughs> that, that that head coaching chair is vacant. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's like Terry Stotts he just quit. <laughs> but and and don't discount that part as well. Not that Terry Stotts was some great defensive mind, but the experience of someone who has been a head coach for nearly ten years. You didn't re- you didn't replace him. That's like very jarring for a team. Then you add in Chris Middleton. Then you got Dame dying on screens. Then you get Giannis, and we got to ask our questions here. How do I put this? Usually MVP players win them in clusters, with the exception of Michael Jordan, who's an alien of all aliens. But Larry Bird won his three MVPs in a row. Magic Johnson won three in four years. Steph won two in a row. LeBron won four in five years. Usually it happens in a very concentrated period of time in a modern NBA. I probably named damn near 20 MVPs of those four or five guys in the last 35 years. Giannis's height of 19 and 20, and then he became a champion, you know, a year later. 
can Giannis reach that high on being an MVP player on offense, an MVP player on defense? Can we expect him to be that? Because I feel like Giannis covered a lot of ills with the Milwaukee Bucks, a lot of structural ills, just because he was so athletic, so great, and oftentimes so random. But if he is 95% of that player, how much worse does that make the Bucks? Yeah, th- those are fair questions. It's wild to me that, you know, and I wrote about this, like when this trade went down, you know, they, they'd been kicking around the idea of Dame for years, but it, it, it was not happening. It was They were not pursuing it until they got word from Dame's camp that he was he would be happy and comfortable coming that way. So then they kick it into high gear, and then they spend the better part of two weeks looking at this thing from every angle. Obviously, a big part of that is the Bucks studying their own defense, studying their own defensive history, studying the questions that you are now raising. They, uh, you know, they stated in the obvious, they got to a conclusion that Damian Lillard makes us better and that the offensive benefits that come with him, you know, that, that they supersede the defensive <clears throat> weaknesses that might come because he's no Drew Holiday and that's not a, a knock. There, there's, Drew is one of one. Um, but, you know, again, early returns might take a while. Eventually, maybe they get it there. But, but this is even uglier than I think we could have expected. I think uh, the defense that you guys brought up, Vinny, you, you talked about Adrian being an opposite of what Bud was doing, uh, being more physical, being more aggressive. And you know what's funny? The Bucks, I feel like, are actually executing that part of what they wanted to accomplish. Uh, they are forcing a whole lot more turnovers. They're not killing themselves with fouls. But the fact that a Toronto Raptors team that couldn't score on the Blazers, right, was able to score as easily as they did. The Raptors had 35 assists last night. And you know what? The Raptors still turned the ball over a lot. They had 18 turnovers to the point. The concern that I have with the Bucks, Brooke Lopez was a defensive player of the year candidate last year, even at the stage of career that he was in. And it's because he was put in position by the defense that the Bucks employed, a contained heavy defense. The Bucks were dead last in trying to force turnovers last year, but they did everything else well. And they parked Brooke at a point where it's like you're not scoring over him. And you have Giannis as that rotating four, you know, that that elite help defender. I think the Bucks are all over the place. They are still big, so they're rebounding decent enough. They're forcing more turners. They're not killing themselves on fouls. The Toronto Raptors defense of last year that Adrian Griffin was on that staff they would do the same things, but they were smaller and they bled threes. And eventually they got to the point where it's like, me, Jacoperto. And Jacoperto didn't even help them. Brooke is all over the place. His rim protection was elite last year to begin this year. The Bucks are the worst rim protecting team in the NBA. That is a concern because the only solution is to either adjust to your player or to change the players. And and you just gave Brooke the bag and signed his twin to be <laughs> on the team. I don't know if you changing players, man, like Chris Middleton. I don't know if you're changing players. And it doesn't look like we're getting full strength Chris anytime soon. No. Dame is here. Giannis is here. You're starting with Leak Beasley. And again, you're paying everybody else. I don't see how they can change the players. So this is going to be very interesting for Adrian Griffin because I've we, we've seen coaches get hired and then a year later teams decide to make a decision. I'm not saying that that should be imminent, but that's the biggest test for Adrian Griffin right now. Like 
he's accomplishing what he wants to accomplish as a defense as far as a factor, but as far as the overall effectiveness, those players are out of position and it's the oldest team in the league. If this is an issue now, you know, in November, what's it going to look like when winter starts, the injuries start hitting, the road trips start grinding, um, the bodies don't are, are going to be more crisp, you know, come February and March. So that's what I'm, I'm, I'm looking at. I think the offense will take care of itself. I think there's talent. They're going to win games off of that alone. But what Adrian's trying to do defensively, it's some things, the, the things he wants is working. But overall, I don't know if it fits the team. Guys, my last thought on this point before I'm going to get to some one weekend takeaways and get your guys' thoughts around the league a little more. But um, I've always found Giannis's choice interesting to on how he uses his voice. Uh, earlier in his career, you know, remember the infamous the infamous bubble loss to the Heat when they're just throwing the wall at him time and again, uh, when he's not guarding Jimmy Butler, when that was a thing. And, and, you know, that's a younger version of Giannis, but it's only a couple of years ago. And I remember asking him, you know, if he asked for that Jimmy Butler assignment and in general, like how he used his voice with Bud. And he has always been, you hear that term coachable, and that is conceivably a good thing. But I think with Giannis, there have been times when, you could argue that he was too coachable. This feels like, as the guy who has won Defensive Player of the Year, as the guy who is the absolute captain of this program, that if this trend continues on the defensive end and everything you and Law Vinny said lands about scheme and about identity and about the fact that personnel is not changing, these are their dudes. Like at some point, Giannis is going to have to very forcefully share his perspective and figure out as a leader what tweaks and changes have got to be made schematically because they know how to do this like bud taught them the system fine him being gone doesn't mean they can't go back to elements that made them successful in the past uh and the stakes are too high you cannot make this trade and and have it just absolutely fall on its face again we're talking about four games this time of year there's always opinions and takes that we look back on months later that look silly maybe this will be one and maybe they figure it out but uh really interesting stuff early on all right let me pivot one last time guys law i know you got to get moving here in a minute um i was gonna dive in to the celtics but i don't want to just do that that's gonna be my thing as far as one weekend takeaways just things that have jumped out to you guys because there's been a bunch of interesting stuff going on so i'll start in terms of things that they certainly got your attention and it's in the context of the bucks you know drew holiday uh you know gets shipped off to boston He's he's their fourth leading scorer right now, fitting in you know fine on the offensive end, shooting at a high percentage. Porzingis obviously playing really well. Jason Tatum looking like an MVP candidate again. Jalen Brown doing his thing. Uh, early dominance has got the Celtics. Uh, I'm trying to cheat here and look at the numbers. Um, they're four and zero. One of only two undefeated teams. Dallas is also four and zero. Why can't I find the damn numbers now? Select is going to have to edit. All right, officially editing time. Hold on. <laughs> Stop laughing, baby. No, I like that he's just said, you know what? Schleck is going to edit this. No, no, that, that is that is a bet move, baby. I like that. That is a bet All right, move. and we're we back. We're good. All right. Uh, best net rating in the league at 20.1 for the Drew Holiday Boston Celtics. Uh, as an aside, Law, the Clippers are second at 11.6. Who needs James Harden? Um, defensive rating of 104.7 is seventh best offense in the league right above Dallas, 124.8. They just, they look 
dominant. They look great. Uh, you know, again, I don't know if I mentioned this. They put it on the Pacers last night, Fred Katz. But Boston looking good. Um, you know, they they they've got Joe Missoula in year number two. They added Jeff Van Gundy as a consultant. You know, they've they've been doing this for a minute. Boston's gonna be incredibly dangerous. I'm not exactly having a hot take there. Uh for you guys, Law, I'll throw it to you. Uh, you know, the only rule for you is you cannot talk clippers. Uh, what else has jumped out at you, positive or negative, one weekend? I I brought up the Suns earlier. Uh, and again, I know they're I know they're missing Bradley Beal. I know they're missing Devin Booker. I really wonder how that roster changes or how the coaching staff adjusts when they are down somebody who has to make major moves in their offense. I think that San Antonio Spurs game, they they really had no business losing that game, but it's the second time that the Suns uh, have basically just gone belly up in the fourth quarter of a game. I think it's an interesting conversation about uh, roster construction overall. Um, the Suns completely punted the traditional point guard position, which that's cool if you got Book, who, I mean, even in the game that they played against the Warriors to open the season at Chase, like the Suns had ups and downs in that game. Uh, they were relatively inconsistent. They won that game because Devin Booker closed the door with his playmaking, with his ability to understand that Kevin Durant is somewhere else in the corner and he can make the pick and roll playing and set guys up. But I feel like the role of a, of a point guard, who's not a star and there's decreasing, um, n- you know, numbers of those type of players in this league today. How are those guys going? Uh, how, how do you have a team where you don't have one of those guys at all? Um, and so that's, that's something that I'll, I'll look, I'll look at with the Suns. Um, uh, and the Spurs was interesting to bring it up because they have a big experiment. I know we're talking about Victor Wembanyama just overall. And by the way, he's more slender man apparently than Jason Voorhees, right, Vinny? So he <laughs> he comes big in slum the Phoenix. Is what I call him big slim. That, yeah, like I mean that um, that costume was great on Halloween, but <laughs> again, the Suns were they they should have won that game easily. Trey Jones, who I don't think anyone thinks of Trey Jones as as a as an elite point guard or anything like that. Trey Jones is your typical journeyman. You know, in football we talk about journeyman quarterbacks. Like Trey Jones is is a game manager type of point guard, but the value of him has come through in both the San Antonio's wins when they close with him and have Jeremy playing like anything other than someone who's touching the ball more than you know Victor Wembanyama. Like the Spurs offense is been able to win these games and i'm just it's just an interesting thing to watch because teams love to talk about how positionless they are but the traditional aspect of how guys come up and playing still gives some coaches some comfort still gives star players the ability to say okay we're going to be put in the best positions to do what we do well on the offensive end of the floor uh that's an early season trend and and it i'm i'm sure it'll shape how teams adjust their rosters as the winter goes on can I rant on positionless basketball for a second? Just yeah, a no quick, doubt. Just a real quick one. I maybe the, I'm going to sound like an old man. I'm not old, but maybe I'm going to sound like an old. I'll man. be the judge of that. I'm. I'm right. The, I'll let you know. I'm the you, CEO you'll of that. You'll, you'll let me know. When you have big people that do little guard things, but don't do big people things, you still need big people, right? Right. Like if you got yep. a big man that shoots ten threes a game. 
and says I'm the greatest shooting big man of all time, but can't protect the rim and doesn't and doesn't rebound. You know what you need? You you need Rudy Gobert. Right. You, you know, so like that positionless basketball stuff, I get it. And if you have like if you don't have a point guard, but you need guys to be set up, like the one thing about a guy like Kevin Durant, I don't want him having to create his own shot as much as he has to at this stage of his career. You know what would really help Kevin Durant? A nice offensive structure that once it swings the ball to him, the defense is off balance and he can do his thing without having to stare down the barrel at, you know, somebody nipping and stripping and everything else. So positionless basketball sounds really, 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 really good. But there's still roles on the floor that need to be filled. And if you don't have those roles, I don't give a damn what positionless basketball is. That's just a cute term because you still need big people doing big things. Like, it's just dumb. I think it's just the way it people be dumb. Positionless is a scam, man. It's, it allows it allows players to say that they don't have any specific responsibilities. They got to do everything. It allows coaches to not have to talk about what they're doing with these lineups. They can just say, hey, we're trying something out. And it allows front offices to say, you know, we're just collecting talent and we're going to have the coaching staff figure it out. To that point, I was watching the highlights of the Pelicans win over OKC last night because admittedly I was trying to catch up on the uh, season-long topic of Chet Holmgren versus Victor Wembanyama, And late in the game, they were like five out and, and Chet is just chilling in the right corner. You know, like that's your big, that's your seven-footer. And he's literally out there looking like P.J. Tucker. So point well made, Vinny. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, week one takeaway for Vinny. Week one takeaway for Vinny. I am I'm intrigued by two teams. I'm going to start with the bad. I'm intrigued by the Chicago Bulls because they look like an outright mess. You're okay? so on brand. I'm so proud of you. Of course, you hmm? got to come with a Bulls take. I said you're so on brand. And you know what's one funny? Former I, Bulls I, beat writer. I gained an affinity for the Bulls because people thought I was like some type of bad boys infiltrator. Like this is 1991 or some shit. You know what I mean? Like when I first got there, it was the weirdest thing of all time. <laughs> like you're going to go and tell our secrets to who? <laughs> Joe Dumars and Mark Aguirre? Like that's what we're doing here? But either way, right? The Bulls are a hot mess to me. Like because Lonzo Ball is out, like that feels like a convenient sort of reason for why things aren't working but when you have Zach Levine said it was not a team meeting but it was a it was a group of players getting together or players getting together and they didn't want the coaches to be involved that does not sound like a vote of confidence for anything when it happens after the first game like a lot of times we've been around and we've not let in the locker room because players are talking amongst themselves and we don't it's not called a team meeting or whatever it is, but usually that happens like January or December. That happens when a team decides collectively, we're not as good as we think. That doesn't happen after the first game. There's too much optimism. There's too much sober realism for you to say, we've got 81 games left and we've got problems right now. That just strikes me as something that we need to be paying attention to. Like DeMar DeRozan and the Bulls sure. didn't come to terms on an extension. Vucevic was talking about not getting touches. They don't have a point guard. They're waiting on Patrick Williams. Like, like I'm still waiting on Patrick Williams. Like, I was a Patrick still Williams waiting guy. on Patrick Williams. I will die on that vine. I thought Patrick Williams was going to be like a guy, and I was wrong. Right? 
And then you go to Dallas. 4-0. They traded for Derek Lively in the draft. And he looks like a stud. He looks like a dude, even though he's not playing a ton of minutes right now, but he's filling a big hole for them. And everybody who was telling me Luka Doncic for MVP, I'm like, Luka Doncic has to play on a good team for him to win MVP. Well, he's shutting Vinny up on that, right? And I didn't, I don't know how the fit will work between he and Kyrie Irving, but I do know that Jason Kidd is a really hard driving coach. And if those players respond to that, that actually might be something. You know, what's funny about that game is the Dallas Mavericks have that lottery pick because they punted that late season game to the Bulls. Okay. Yep. The yep. Bulls would have probably loved to flip because you know what the Bulls didn't have this year? A lottery pick that they had to donate to the Orlando Magic in part because of the Nikola Vucevic trade, who they extended. And now Vinny is saying he's complaining about touches. Um, he got plenty of touches. He had a 2020 game and they still lost. That's the state of the Bulls right now. Yeah, the Bulls feel like like nobody wants to say it out loud, but like what they the road they went down, the the plan that was in place, it, it looked good for a minute. You know, they had that that fast start last year, and then it was pretty evident that it just wasn't going anywhere. When you come into a season with guys like Demar and Zach Levine already being in trade rumors, that's not great for the culture. That's not great for the vibe. You know, if you talk about to take it all the way back to Philly, you know uh, that idea that. They're going to go try to find another guy. You know, Zach's name comes up a lot in those kind of conversations. We're talking two, three games in. That's not typically the kind of environment that you can come back from. So the Bulls, it's been a, a weird turnaround because you got Arturis Karnasevis getting a lot of credit right out the gate for being bold and adding these guys, you know, and, and Billy Donovan now in terms of voice, it does. I don't remember exactly what his contract is, but it feels like he Billy got extended fantastic. last year and the extension doesn't kick in until next year. Who we? All right, so Billy's fine, but uh, it does feel like, in order for his voice to land like it used to, you might have to get some new, you know, faces around there. So, yeah, those are good ones. All right, gentlemen, we have taken up a bunch of your time. We made the rounds. We we got Mr. Matthew Katz on here talking about the Pacers. More importantly, we got Vinny on. Vinny, I'm forgetting. Like, is this is the debut on the pod? No, I've been on. You came on before. That's right. Okay, I've been on before. All right, memory failing me. You know the old old folks. We, it's we all have memory. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 your non-athletic black friend. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. Between that and white don't crack, you, you're, you're giving it to me today. <laughs> your white friend's probably blushing right now. <laughs> All right, I appreciate you guys. This was good stuff. We'll, we'll have you on for a third time, some other time. Now that I, you know, remembered how to count. Law, uh, you know, go do your job, man. You've been sleeping at the wheel. Like, I'm not seeing content coming from you. You know, where you been lately, man? Hey, all I'm saying is I got a red eye to New York Friday night, and it was because I wasn't going to get Friday news dumped by this team that I've been around. So, yeah. That's right. You told me that. That was, that was your plan to, to, to not, you know. That get... man is chugging orange juice like he had a hangover. <laughs> are we sure he doesn't because i wouldn't blame him for for drink a little bit after that laker clipper ot you know affair after this week he's had hey you know i've never had alcohol before um that's right I I'm never, that and, and this Vinny you and I got the coffee sam i got that's the true. i got the oj I like it. OJ's much better for you. I got my coffee, my caffeine over here, my water. All right, guys, I'm going to let you roll. Thank you. Thank you for everybody for joining us. We'll talk to you next week.